welcome to the 29th episode of season two of the Indo Techno podcast. Salamat datang semunya. I'm Alan Hallowell, founder of tech consultancy Gizmo Advisors and venture partner at Alpha JWC Ventures. FinTech is now far and away the largest venture capital investment category by number of backed startups in Southeast Asia and Indonesia, according to CIO.com. And payments is the fuel behind this engine of growth. E money transactions alone jumped well over 100%. From January 2020 to January 2021 in Indonesia, according to Dealco. We are extremely pleased to have joined today Tessa Wijaya, the co founder and COO of Zendit, with an X. Zendit provides payment infrastructure across Indonesia and other parts of Southeast Asia. Tess, thanks so much for joining. Great to be here today, Alan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, Tess. Now, I have found out that there are certain parts of the tech ecosystem that require little explanation, such as basic e commerce or online gaming. I have to tell you, payments, however, looks to me like one massive puzzle. So, Tess, can we start off by describing where exactly the Zendit solution sits within the payments ecosystem? Certainly. I hear you. Payments can be really, really complex. Really, how I like to describe Zendit. Is we're the connector between merchants, banks, and international payment platforms like Visa and MasterCard. So, if you can imagine a really big highway with a lot of trucks moving money around, obviously all happening in the digital world, Zendit really is a truck that kind of moves the money around to the right place so that when you want to go shopping in an e commerce platform and you want to charge your card, we're there for you. We're the one who's telling Visa, hey, this guy wants to pay by cards. We're the one that settles the money to the merchants afterwards. So, yeah, that's in a nutshell what Zendit is. Well, thanks for that. I can say I'm a little less illiterate with that very helpful explanation. If we think about other global category leaders, Tess, whom do we most resemble? That's a really good question. I think we like to say that Zendit is a stripe of Asia. That's really the easiest way for people outside of Southeast Asia to really think about or understand Zendit. But in essence, we provide payment services both for enterprise customers like our Tokopedias of the world or Travelocas of the world, rather, to small SMEs like the moms and pops who are trying to sell everything from your chili sauce to clothing online. Understood. So, Tess, if our competition does include the likes of Stripe and others, how do we envision competing with these guys? Many of them are already expanding their headcount very rapidly into the region. What makes Zendit unique is that we are really hyper localized, I like to say. So, we understand geographically and culturally how different Southeast Asia is. If you think about the stripes of the world, what they do a lot of times is provide payments through cards. So, essentially, in the Western world, all they do is card processing. You said yourself in your introduction that transactions through e wallets have been going off the roof. And that really explains that, hey, in Southeast Asia, It is about everything else but cards. It is extremely complex. And that's why the likes of Zendit needs to be here. Understood. So, are we saying that we're used in transactions between businesses, in other words, B2B transactions? Or are we instead more used by the consumer in B2C scenarios such as, I don't know, paying for an online purchase or buying a coffee at a Kopi Kanangan outlet? I guess we're a combination of both. So, we serve the merchants. So, in that sense, we're a B2B platform. But customers are actually often using our rails when they're doing payments, when they're, for example, shopping in an e commerce platform. Oftentimes, Alan, for example, 
if you're buying some sort of goods in an e-commerce platform, you don't actually realize you're using Zendit. You think the merchant itself are the ones who are taking on your credit card number or your virtual account number. And actually, in the background, it's us doing all the work. So you're basically powering that transaction. That's right. We like to say powered by Zendit, even though it's sometimes working in the background. Now, Tess, what is our most powerful and prolific channel to bringing on new customers? Is it the e-commerce platforms? Is it a direct sales force? Or is it a strategic partner? Yeah, that's a really good one. So I think a lot of our customers actually come to us inbound via word of mouth. We've just been so good at providing for all these global players to come into market in Southeast Asia. What's really interesting, though, Alan, in terms of what's happening in market is that most of our customers, the ones who are really in need of accepting payments instantly and dispersing payments instantly, are the other fintech players. So a lot of our bigger customers are industries like crypto exchanges or other fintech platforms that are doing accounting for the likes of warungs or mom and pop shops. Interestingly, they've been the ones who are saying, hey, we need your help for payments. Understood. That's really helpful. Maybe a quick tangent, if you don't mind. Where did you grow up, Tess? Yeah. So I grew up in Sukabumi. I was born and raised there. That's a really small town in West Java. I did move to Jakarta during my high school days, and then I moved overseas. I guess I've been a little bit of a citizen of the world, have been moving around between Australia, New York, Hong Kong, and then back home here in Indonesia. And I see you did your undergraduate studies at Syracuse University in New York State which happens to be a 90-minute ride from where I grew up in Rochester, New York. How the heck could you have agreed to enduring one of the world's worst winters? <laughs> I can tell you, Alan, I think I was a little bit duped. Those were back in the days where the internet was still in its early stages. And they advertised that Syracuse was really close to New York, something like an hour, an hour and a half. I didn't realize it was actually a five-hour drive. And I was really... I didn't even understand what cold was until I arrived in Syracuse. It was crazy. You must have very thick skin to show for it. Now, I believe that Zendit was the very first Indonesian company to go through Y Combinator's legendary accelerator program. When was that? And what exactly did the program entail? We went through Ycom in 2015. And essentially, at that time, it was the three co-founders, Sans, myself, the guys who were at Berkeley together. Basically, that particular program was you get into this whole summer, you spend that time trying to explore and expand your business. It all ends in a demo day where you should be showing to investors what the business model was like and what your app or product is like. And then you pitch to them and you try as hard as possible to get an investment from that round. We were the very first one coming out of Indonesia. And it's really a source of great pride because before that, investors wouldn't even be able to tell you the difference between Bali and Indonesia. Sometimes they ask us, hey, is Indonesia in Bali? So it's been a source of great pride to be able to bring that flag to YCOM. I can imagine that. Now, a basic question, Tess, how does Zendit make its money? Are customers paying a monthly fee? Are they paying us as a percentage of gross merchandise value or GMB transacted? Or is our business model tied to something else? Our business model is actually really, really simple. This is, again, another source of pride, Alan, because before we came in the market, all sorts of payment gateways were charging hidden fees, monthly fees, cancellation fees, and whatever else. 
really the way Zendit makes money is on a per transaction basis. So we only charge for successful transactions detected, successful payments being made and successful disbursements being made as well. So very, very simple business model. We mark up to whatever the banks or Visa or MasterCard or the e-wallets give us, and that's how we make money. Understood. Now, I saw you reference a 700% CAGR or compound annual growth rate. What is likely to drive our growth going forward? Is it mostly growth from existing customers? Will it be more growth from new customers? Or is it the addition of new services? I think what we're going to be seeing in Indonesia specifically is growth from two things. One would be the SME market. As you are well aware, the pandemic has forced a lot of businesses to go online, even if they're not yet ready to do so. What we've seen in the past year is a surge in signups from these SMEs. Suddenly, people in Bali who have small businesses to teach other people to cook, because no tourists come, they've pivoted to opening up an online store for bespoke or artisan chocolates or things of the sort. So I think really the SME market is going to be a big driver of growth in the next few years. The next one would be probably providing new types of services, for example, supporting working capital for these businesses to be able to come online or things like corporate credit card for the SME so that when they want to subscribe to things like Shopify or Google Suites, we can help them to do that. Yeah, it just dawned on me, you guys must be a receptacle of massive amounts of data. So am I wrong in saying that there will be a number of ancillary financial services that you can layer on over time to the SME and other participants in the Zended ecosystem? Oh, definitely. I think it's been really interesting to be processing. I think it's something like 65 million transactions per year. I can't even fathom what that's like. I mean, when we started, we could not imagine having to process that amount of information and also payments. So I think we may know a lot more about the behaviors of SMEs than the banks do because, hey, you know what? All the payments, all the revenue are coming through us. So I think it's a no-brainer for us to be expanding out to other parts of the business, whether it be lending or EKYC. It's definitely something that we're exploring to be able to develop for that next stage of growth. Just going back to the early days that you referenced, I personally remember meeting with management when Zendit was still more of a P2P payments platform before evolving into its current model. Why and when did that transformation take place? Yeah, I think when the Bright Eye Boys came from Berkeley, they were really excited to bring Venmo to Indonesia. They had all sorts of amazing ideas about that, but quickly realizing that the market wasn't ready First things first, you can't even connect to your bank account direct to be able to pull the money into your wallet, unlike in the US. So really, Indonesia at the time was not ready for a Venmo-like peer-to-peer wallet. But what we started to see when we provided those services were our friends and other startups. They were saying, hey, guys, how are you able to do this? How are you able to disperse funds instantly? How are you able to accept funds and detect it instantly? That's super duper amazing. For people in other markets, this might seem like, hey, such a super basic thing. But in Indonesia, basic stuff can be really, really complex. That was what payments was like before we came around. So really, it was by demand because our startup friends said, hey, guys, can you build the same stuff? But for businesses, that was why we got into the payment gateway business. Understood. Just a side question. Are Moses Lowe and Bo Chen, your fellow co-founders, quite comfortable with being referred to as the bright-eyed boys of Berkeley? (laughs) 
I'm sure they would be. We have a really good repertoire, don't you worry. I call them my boys because we've got three Berkeley boys and then myself, the only woman out of all the co-founders. And is there a little bit of kind of a maternal den mother role that you assume? Oh, definitely. I mean, back in the days, Alan, we were in-house. So that's the garage version of Southeast Asia startup scene. And there was a lot of rowdiness playing with Nerf guns and whatever else, having a lot of fun, as well as building the payment infrastructure of Indonesia. So I had to be the really strict one to be like, hey, let's buckle up. Let's get out there and let's deliver our services. Excellent. That's really interesting color. Now, you mentioned in an interview that travel was one of your largest verticals prior to the pandemic. I assume that got hit hard. What are our three largest industry segments today? Yeah, the travel sector definitely got hit hard with borders closing, flights were not able to take off. It's been a really tough year for these guys. What we've seen, though, during this pandemic is that other financial services, other digital services have really propped up and have been the star of the show. So the likes of crypto exchanges, when people can't go outside, what they want to do, they want to, I guess, discover how to invest in other asset classes. So there's the crypto exchanges booming. There are also all these digital products, gaming, ed tech. We are really seeing that volume increasing. Retail, of course, as I said before, a lot of SME retail is really, really booming. That's simply because you can no longer sell in bazaars. You can no longer have your offline shops. You can no longer have just your Instagram account and have that be enough. And that's why they're coming to us and digitalizing very, very rapidly. Understood. Now, Tessa, with what other leading startup solutions do we integrate commonly? That's a really good question. I think what's been really interesting in payments now is the rise of these BNPL providers. So that's the buy now, pay later providers. They've been asking for us to integrate to them so we can provide that as a method of payment. And I'm seeing a lot of demand there. I mean, obviously, it's basically lending, but much more simplified because you understand how much you have to pay for each time. Other booming industries, like I said before, accounting platforms for the mom and pop shops, the smaller platforms, they're really, really trying to grow really fast. They're subsidizing transactions for smaller merchants. So I think that's been really, really interesting to see. And I said before as well, these crypto exchanges, other fintech players, they're really, really pushing hard as well in market. Understood. Now, Tess... Zendit has clearly become increasingly dominant in Indonesia. How much of a leap would it be to compete in cross-border payments? Oh, it's definitely not a leap at all. We actually already do that. So much like our payment platform where we do a lot of B2B, we're providing the underlying piping to connect payments. We do this cross-border as well. I like to say, Alan, it's kind of like moving money in trucks versus planes. Kind of the same. (laughs) I don't want to oversimplify, but really at this point in time, We're already helping a bunch of the bigger brand names to move money from one country to another. And so you're suggesting that the skill set that has made you so strong as a local player in Indonesia is significantly graftable into cross-border use cases? Yeah, definitely. I think the difference between payments and market and cross-border payments is simply you have to add in the Forex part. You also have to add in the KYC part. And because we're a tech company, we've just been really, really good at that in providing instant payments and really world-class APIs. It's been a no-brainer to be able to expand to cross-border. Understood. 
Now, Tess, what are the three biggest projects that you are personally managing today as COO of Zendit? Good question there. Amongst the list of hundreds, I will tell you my top three. Number one would be regionalization. I know you've heard a lot about Indonesia and Zendit's expansion into Indonesia, but we are now already in two markets. We're launched in the Philippines late last year. Super duper excited about this. But what this means is the team needs to think about being regional rather than a one country player. So I think a lot about how do we build teams? How do we maintain culture? And how do we get these new markets up and running quickly and smoothly without any hiccups? The second part would be automation. I think we've gotten to this point in our startup journey where throwing more humans at it no longer works. So really thinking about how do we automate processes as much as possible in a way that scales to different markets, that's also important. Uh, third, out of the really long list, is thinking about Horizon 2 stuff. Some stuff that you asked before, what's next? What's going to be the next big thing that will get Zendit to be that rocket ship and to grow even faster than we are today? Tess, are you finding many STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM-trained women in the workplace? And what are your broader thoughts on this matter? Alan, sadly, I think in Southeast Asia, and especially in Indonesia, women in STEM is still really, really hard to find. In fact, when we're hiring for software engineers, we've had to really increase the incentives so that there are more referrals for women software engineers. I think that's been something that's really heartbreaking for me. Look, Zendit has a really large female working population but it remains to be higher percentage on the business side or on the op side, not really on the engineering side. So I've been really proud in putting forward some initiatives through my women in tech movement to encourage girls to go into STEM. So just recently, we did a technovation event whereby we coached a lot of young girls to make their apps and to be able to roll that out. I'm super duper proud of that. And I'm hoping that we can continue this program as time goes on. I'm looking forward to sharing that anecdote with my 13-year-old daughter at dinner. Tess, thanks so much for joining us. Your crisp and clear explanations were super helpful. And it sounds like Zendit is riding atop multiple waves of growth. Definitely look forward to keeping in touch, yeah? Definitely so, Alan. It's been such an enjoyable conversation. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to host you. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih telah mendengarkan. Sampai jumpa lagi. Bye.